Welcome to Calibrate Conversations, a podcast about embracing God's standard for sexuality. I'm your host, Brady Cohn, and joining me today is our guest, Robbie Lashwa. And Robbie, is he's an apologist with the ministry Stand to Reason, and I love this ministry. You guys should check it out. He was formerly a pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona, an associate pastor at Mission Bible Institute, and the host of the Christ Culture and Coffee podcast about apologetics. Uh, he's earned his Master of Divinity from Phoenix Seminary, a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Robbie has a passion for equipping the church with good reasons to believe in classical Christianity. How's it going today, Robbie? Good, Brady. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Good. That is a great biography. And what I love about you is combining apologetics with a pastoral heart and a lot of pastoral experience. And I think that's really important in our culture because we want to defend the truth with, with logic, but we want to do it with love and grace and with a pastoral heart. And I see your ministry doing that. And Stand to Reason is an amazing ministry. And so I, I want all of our listeners to check that out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're all about doing things with what we call the ambassadors model, which is if we're going to be good ambassadors for Christ, we got to have knowledge. So there comes apologetics. We got to have wisdom, which is how we present things. But we also have to have good character because that's what Christ has called us to do. So those three things all in conjunction, uh, I think, make a good ambassador for the Lord. Absolutely. That's great. And you have a passion for um, biblical sexuality and uh, helping the church understands God's purpose for sexuality and marriage. So why don't you give us a little background on how did you develop that passion? Why have you seen that that's so strongly needed within the church? Well, when I was a pastor and, and even before that, a youth pastor, you know, I had so many students or people from the church who were struggling with same-sex attraction. And, um, you know, they, they come from a variety of different backgrounds and families and things like that. And um, once they would talk to you about it and bring it up, you know, it was like this really scary thing they were talking about. And I thought, you know, this is just a, uh, a sin issue, a struggle like anybody would have with, with any other type of thing. Um, and uh, engaging in it, right, is where sin happens. But having the same sex attraction, having this desire, man, these things come from all sorts of uh, problems with our sin nature. And so um, I thought through, man, I got to teach this. I got to I got to get a handle on what the Bible teaches sex is for, for the whole group, because I want everybody to know that because it's not just kids struggling with same sex attraction that need to know it. It's the kids struggling with heterosexual attraction, you know, with Absolutely. their peers and the yeah. girls that are sitting next to them at, at youth group. Um, and so I just really did a big study on it. I've taught a couple of classes and colleges on um, biblical sexuality. Uh, and, and I think it really is se sexuality is the biggest religion in our culture today. And so we need to know how to address it from a biblical standpoint, because man, this is where people are worshiping uh, at the altar of the LGBTQ plus, um, you know, cohabitating, sleeping around with your girlfriend, all of that stuff. This, this is the religion of our day. And so we need to know how to address this uh, form of sin and paganism and bring in biblical uh, clarity to it and, and do it in a kind and loving way. Absolutely. And I, I love um, saying that we need to bring some clarity for all people. Uh, you know, when I go to churches, 
a lot of times they, they have me come to talk about homosexuality, which obviously I do because that's my background. But I always tell them mm -hmm. we can't talk about homosexuality without talking about heterosexuality because we've all mm -hmm. twisted uh, sexuality in some way. And many times in the same way, I, I, I see so many guys with same sex attraction who I walk alongside where the some of the root idolatry in their life and what their heart has twisted and their purpose in their sexuality is the same mm -hmm. purpose and idolatry of the heterosexual couple many times sitting in church uh these twisted purposes yeah. of this is all about me and this is all about how this person makes me feel and mm -hmm. uh you know i'm entitled to uh pleasure and fulfillment uh to, with who I'm the most sexually attracted to. And so we need in the church a bigger vision, a better purpose that we all surrender to as Christians and so that uh, we can have a witness to the world and that we're all living out a, a biblical standard of sexuality, not just us versus them, but we can have transformation here in the church and then have a witness to the LGBTQ world out there. That's right. Well, I was recently I was at a, a college group and I just threw out the question. I said, what do you guys think the purpose of sex is? What do you think? And and the answers I got back, you know, some just said, well, you know, babies are part of it, but it's really about, you know, um, pleasure and emotion and romance and all these things. And um, it was really interesting to me, you know, this is a Christian group of kids who, who are loving the Lord and following what he says. And it just showed me how deep this idea that pleasures the purpose has permeated um, even our Christian culture, right? That this is this is what it's for. It's for your personal satisfaction. Um, and really, when you get down to it, that's just selfishness. Um, so uh, I love I love clarifying this idea with people that um, you know I'll say is sex pleasurable? Of course, like <laughs> yeah, of course it is. That that's the way God made it. Is pleasure the teleology? Is is pleasure the the purpose uh, of sex? No, it's not. And when you get down to what Scripture says, I, I think that there's three main purposes for for sex, for what it's for. Um, the the one of the one of them is procreation, right? This is right off the bat in Genesis. God blessed us, and He said, "Be fruitful and multiply." So there we go. One of the purposes of sex is it gives us the ability to create people in our image and likeness. It's fascinating. God created us in his image and likeness. My kids look kind of like me and kind of like my wife. And unfortunately, they act kind of like me, right? At sometimes. Um, but God gave us this ability. It's scary it's awesome. when you see yourself come out and your kids. It's like, oh, no. Oh. Uh, it's like, I'm not ready for my kids to have the same pitfalls as me. That's right. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> but but God gave us this ability to procreate, which is which is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so amazing. Um, so procreation is one of the purposes of sex. Uh, another purpose of sex is oneness with your spouse. And I think this is, again, right in Genesis, in the ideal situation, in the way God designed things to be, there's supposed to be a oneness. You will leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife. The two will become one flesh, right? So, so marriage is one man with one woman uh, becoming one flesh for one lifetime. And so oneness with your spouse and this continual coming together through the sexual uh, act is, is a renewal of your marriage vows. It's a oneness. It's the, it's the thing you only and exclusively do with your spouse. Uh, and so there's this beautiful intimacy 
that is one of the purposes of sex. And then the third purpose, I think, is that it's a foretaste of heaven. Um, I, I used to have a professor who said, um, the God who can create orgasms can create even better things. And it's like, man, like that's, that's a statement, right? Uh, and it wakes yes, you up at 7 a.m. in class. Yeah, but but it's true. Like like if God can make that, which He did, this this sex isn't a creation of demons. God made it, and if He can do that, what glories, what things await us in heaven? So it's it's a foretaste of the foreverness we will have with God. And so I think those are the three purposes: procreation, oneness with your spouse, and a foretaste of heaven. Now, where our culture has gotten off track is believing the purpose of sex is personal pleasure. Um, now, sex is pleasurable, but but what part does pleasure play in sex? And I think what it does is it's an incentive for us to fulfill the three purposes. It's an incentive for us to come together. So the analogy I like, I like to say is this, is eating pleasurable? And people say, yeah, I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, right? Christmas is coming up. Sure. I mean, eating is pleasurable and there's different stuff that's more pleasurable, less pleasurable, but it is, it's an, it's an enjoyable experience. Is the purpose of eating your pleasure though? And that's when everyone goes, no, because if that's what you think, you're going to get in a lot of trouble with your weight and with mm -hmm. your health. You're going to eat at In-N-Out Burger, you know, five times a, a, a day and it's, it's not good for you. Pleasure is not the purpose of eating. Uh, nutrition is the purpose of eating, right? Life and uh, sustaining your life is the purpose of it. But the pleasure of food incentivizes us to eat so that the purpose of eating uh, transpires in our lives. And it's the same with sex. The purpose of sex isn't pleasure, but the pleasure drives us to those three purposes. And I think when we have things um, ordered in that way, it helps us, number one, not to be selfish about sex, which again, our culture is just so selfish. It's all about what I can get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it helps us to care about the other person that we're with, maybe not, not even in the act of intimacy, but outside of that, I want to care about this person, you know, like for my life. I, I want to be in a uh, covenant relationship with them where we've got an agreement that we're going to stay together. So there's some stability, you know, and we call that marriage. Um, this is the type of thing that comes when we realize pleasure is not what I'm seeking as the number one thing. Um, there's other purposes to, to sex. That's that's really awesome. I, I've never heard it spelled out like that. And those are some really amazing analogies that uh, I think we can all take to heart. Um, how, you know, in, in the church, we tend to decry where our culture is at. Um, how do you see that we need to respond in the church and uh, not just you know, responding to the culture in this culture war of us versus them. But what can we do here inside the church? I'm assuming that most of our listeners are believers and uh, we haven't always lived out God's purposes for marriage with inside the church, uh, which is a problem. Obviously, no one is perfect and um, there's going to be sin and dysfunction, but uh, we need a vision um, for biblical marriage 
uh, biblical purposes for sex. Um, how do you see us uh, maybe not doing well or doing well with inside the church on how we're raising our kids, especially with a godly purpose in mind? Um, I know when I grew up in a culture where it's like uh, you, you know, and I still have parents ask me this, like, oh, when do I have the talk with my kids? It's like, well, you don't have the talk. You have thousands of talks uh, with your kids as you're raising them as part of their discipleship. So how can we do that, that well as Christians of discipling our kids, nav helping our kids navigate this world that they're being raised in, which seems to have gotten crazy with sexuality, and, and really become kingdom ambassadors that have a solid uh, understanding of God's purposes? Yeah, that's a, such a good question. Um, I, th I think a couple of things. I think within the church, um, there's two problems that I've seen churches um, inflict on people, I guess, or, or raise people believing that we need to be careful of. Um, we can't, number one, make too much out of sex. And number two, we can't make too little out of it. Um, and I think, the, and so again, the balance of that is, is difficult. And I'm not saying I haven't perfected, but I, I remember okay. growing up, you know, and like sex was everything. So the world's telling you sex is everything. You got to get as much as you can when you can. And then the church is telling you it's such a sacred, amazing, life altering, mind blowing gift of God that if you don't do it in the right way, your life is over as you know it, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, man, you're getting pressure. <laughs> from two sides about this yeah. thing that is everything in your life. And I, I'm, this sounds so crazy, Brady, but when I was growing up in the church, I, I knew guys who like all their life goal was to get married so they could have sex. Like they didn't plan after that. Mm -hmm. Like there was no, oh yeah, I'm going to be 20 and then I've got another 60 years to live. So it's like, what are you going to do for a job? What are you going to do for college? And it's like, I don't know. I just was focused on having sex. And doing it the right way yeah. <laughs> it's like man that's that's not the best way to go about life um but Absolutely. the other side of it is where we we don't talk about it and and we 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 make too little of it um because then we're letting the culture disciple our kids and so finding that balance is difficult um I, you know my wife and i like what we've decided to do and again I'm, I've never had kids before the four I have now, right? So this is all new to me and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm trying to live in accordance to what God says. But um, one of the things we thought was we really want to get to our kids and talk to them about sex before uh, the culture disciples them about it. And so it's tougher and tougher now. I think on average, uh, uh, the earliest, uh, well, on, on average in America, I think it's that a, a boy experiences pornography when he's nine years old. I think that's the current stat mm. on average, nine-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And so my wife and I thought about this and, you know, there's protection and there's, you know, internet safety and devices, all that stuff. But we thought, you know, when our kids turn 10, let's take them on a special outing that they'd enjoy a trip, you know, an overnight at a resort or a camp out or something. And let's tell them, hey, together, hey, we want you to know about this thing. This is how babies are made. This is what it's for. It's really fun. This is how it works. Ask us any questions you want and have a whole, you know, weekend to start the conversation like you said it's not one conversation it's multiple and i had people say man 10 that just seems so young and i think it's young um and i'm disappointed i have to do it when they're 10 i'd rather wait till they were 13 but by that point they've already been hearing it for years from friends and from culture and from movies and from music and i want to be the one 
to to start their thinking on it in a trajectory that's biblical. And so I think that as parents, we, we can't be naive about how early kids are hearing about and thinking about these things in our culture. And so we just have to be proactive Absolutely. and start the conversation. And And like you said, tell them anytime you got questions. We'd prefer you don't talk to your friends about it first. Come talk to us about it because we know what we're talking about because we've actually experienced this thing. We've we've done it the right way. Yeah. We can inform you on on how this goes. And so with our with our daughter, she's um she'll be 12 in March. And so it's been almost a couple of years and it's been awesome. Like we've gotten to talk a lot with her about this and the importance of it and she's thinking through it. And so I think as as parents, we need to not be naive and think our kids don't know what it is and get to them before uh, culture does. At Calibrate Ministries, we have an entire ministry just for parents of LGBTQ kids because we want to be able to shepherd your hearts and encourage you and pray for you and your family as you navigate these situations. So just go to CalibrateMinistries.com and fill out the contact form, and I'd love to be in touch with you about how you can be involved in that ministry. Yes. And I think as we're raising our kids, um, just helping them process, like, what are you observing? Like, what are you mm -hmm. seeing? What are you picking up? And, and kids, you know, as I'm raising kids, like, oh my gosh, they pick up so many things from the, it's, it's just yeah. mind blowing at the things that come out of their mouths. Like, how did you like pick out, observe that? Uh, so, so clearly, and so helping them, um, uh, understand, um, and categorize and sort out what it is they're observing about relationships, mm -hmm. about marriage, about the world, and giving them the proper categories and truth and understanding. Um, you know, I was, I remember when I was 10, I, I think that's a great age to be having a lot of those discussions because when I was 10, I was struggling. Uh, I was starting mm -hmm. to experience same sex attraction and, uh, and I, it was a deep, deep struggle. And I wish I'd had someone help process with me um, what was happening and what was going on and uh, not letting it snowball in this just secrecy of I've keep this inside. Yeah. And when you when you have all these little pieces of a struggle and you're feeling these different things, if uh, someone doesn't help you sort it out, then your own heart and mind kind of fills in all these different details, mm -hmm. like kind of pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And your, your heart and mind come up with all kinds of different mistruths to to fill in those missing pieces and it can be yeah. really really devastating so so so, no, I, I guess so we need to have those conversations much earlier and, and younger and disciple our kids through the years um i think that one way that uh the church has not always done a great job uh kind of especially like kind of 90s purity culture that we grew up in sure. um was that like like you said I, I love what you said is we don't make enough of sex but we make too much of it and so we kind of build false yeah. expectations within purity culture of if you only wait for your wedding day and you know instead of discipling kids uh especially boys who are dealing with pornography and lust it was always this culture of just hold it all inside. Don't act on it. And then 
God will bring you this perfect woman and your wedding night will be your crowning moment of glory. And you can unleash <laughs> yeah, all sure. of your years of built up desire on your wife that night. And it's going to be glorious. And, and then I talked to men who, uh, and, and women who, uh, experienced that. And, uh, the man had a good time and the woman was left pretty hurting and devastated, especially the first couple of years of marriage, because sex was all about him. And it was all about fulfilling his desires that had been, uh, really twisted by years of porn use and, um, yeah. you know, and masturbation that made his sexuality all about him. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so we need to be preparing our kids, especially our, our boys, uh, and young men, um, to develop a sexuality where the purpose is not just about you. And mm -hmm. I, I think you've spelled out some great, some great purposes we can build into them on how, uh, it can be used for good and how we can misuse it. And those yeah, are conversations absolutely. that as, as young men and boys, we need to be having over and over again. Yep. That's right. Um, Robbie, uh, there's a lot happening in our culture right now. Um, and it's, it's so confusing. I, I, I think that, uh, um, parents need encouragement that, uh, we have the ability to navigate this with our kids. And I think for a long time, um, uh, parents mistakenly within inside the church uh, let culture raise their kids because like, well, they'll at least turn out to be straight, even though maybe that heterosexuality wasn't holy and didn't have God's purposes. That was kind of kind of mm -hmm. the standard of like, well, at least they'll turn out to be straight. And now I think that our yeah. our culture is saying that we have to be more proactive uh, and and we need to we need parents to know that they have the ability to do that. Like we have mm -hmm. everything we need given to us by Christ to disciple our kids um, and right. I, against these messages that the world is giving them. So we don't have to live in fear uh, as Christians or as parents, because we can make choices in our own lives that honor the Lord. And we can raise our kids in a way that they understand what God expects for them and uh, mm -hmm. that they they truly see God's purposes for sexuality and marriage. Um, but the world is coming at them in all these different ways and twisting sexuality. And we see that in the LGBTQ community. Um, one mm -hmm. of the uh, things we want to talk about today was this movie coming out called 1946 um, that... Uh, uh, claims that homosexuality, the word homosexual was not put in the Bible until 1946. And, um, and I see this have these types of arguments having a devastating effects on kids all the time because they find mm -hmm. them on social media and their heart is already kind of leaning towards sin issues. And so now they find this justification of, oh, look, that's actually what the Bible says. This is this is really what they want yeah. to believe. And so then it's easy for them to believe it because their heart is already kind of leading them astray. And so so I want to show this trailer from uh, this movie, 1946. Um, it's going to be coming out publicly in just a few days. It's already being shown at like some film festivals, but it's going to be coming out publicly. I've seen a lot of chitter chatter about it. And you have the academic background. I want you to really be able to dig into this. Um, and what does the Bible actually say? And how is this interpretation uh, mm. completely wrong? So let me bring up this um, 
trailer and uh, we will take a look. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God. God's given us his word, and to go against that's wrong. 1946 is the first time in any language, in any translation, the word homosexual ends up in the Bible, right? I found that incredibly hard to believe. Who made this decision? Why did they make this decision? How did they make this decision? Here is the famous 1946 RSV New Testament. New Testament. I found that they had left their archives at Yale University. I think we went through 60,000 documents. So I'm reading this for the first time. Oh, oh, this is exactly what we are looking for. This is it. I was wrong, or I think I'm wrong, about what the Bible says. What is in the Bible is a behavior. It's a behavior that heterosexual people can do. Religion and politics get together. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war, for this war is for the soul of America. What you're doing is contrary to the Word of God. The authority of the Bible is at stake. How do we undo a lie that is so ingrained in our culture? All right, so there we have it. So 1946 is coming out in a couple of days, and I know that I'll be seeing a lot of posting of from LGBTQ people of or their allies of, hey, look at this. This is proof that God's word, as it was written, does not condemn homosexuality. It was just added by men. And how in 1946, in the you know that's first translation where that actual word was used. So how do we respond to that? What does the Bible actually say? What do these passages say? Now, obviously, this is referring to First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine and ten. Um, so how do we respond with love and grace to these types of arguments? Well, whenever you hear um, any kind of argument about the Bible, you go read the Bible. Right. You say, well, what do these passages say? Because it's really easy for people just to say, oh, this verse says this. OK, time out. I want to go read those verses myself and do my due diligence, study it. Um, and there are there are two passages in the New Testament that use the word homosexual in the English language. Uh, number one, I, I think that it's hilarious that they're like 1946 was the first time in all of human history that uh, this word was ever used in the Bible. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, for what, 12, 1300 years, there weren't even any Bibles in, in the English language. So, like, yeah, that's sure. So, yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's just, it's silliness. Um, also, it's, well, when did the word homosexual become a word in the English language? That's kind of the question we should ask. But regardless of that, I just, I kind of want to stick with what scripture says. So first Timothy one, eight through 11 has the word homosexual in it. And also, as you said, uh, first Corinthians six, nine through 10. So I want to read, um, I want to read that verse, uh, first Corinthians six, nine through 10 in the ESV translation, because I want to show you what's going on here, uh, in the Greek language, the extra spiritual uh, so, version. Yeah. The extra spiritual. Yeah, that's right. I like the NASB better, but I want to show you the difference. So, so here's mm. how the ESV translates this. Very okay, good. they say, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So what the ESV does to translate this word is they, they say men who practice homosexuality. And that's how they translate it in 1 Timothy 2, men who practice homosexuality. Now, let me read it from the ESV version. Uh, in the ESV, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So the NASB translates the um, what, what the ESV says is men who practice homosexuality. The NASB says effeminate and homosexual. And in Greek, there are two words there. Um, so the NASB, I think, is translating it more as what the original says. But I think the ESV is doing a good job at telling us what Paul is talking about and what he's condemning. Um, and so th this is where it gets really interesting, Brady. Um, we always want to look at the context of Scripture, right? What's what's the passage talking about? What's going on here? Well, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, so just one chapter before, he quotes Deuteronomy 17, 7. Um, he also gives this vice list about drunkenness and, and all these other things in, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. And the list in there is the same sins that God condemns in Leviticus 18 through 20, except for drunkenness. That's the only one, not in Leviticus 18 through 20. So it's almost like, okay, Paul's, he's quoted Deuteronomy, and now he's going through the list of bad things from Leviticus 18 through 20, right? Like that's, that's what he's doing in his head, and he's putting on paper. So um, the idea about the word homosexual only being recently created is just such an irrelevant claim because we need to see what the Greek words are meaning and saying. And again, they don't say the words homosexual in English, right? That's not the word that's being used. Because it wasn't written what? in English. Exactly. It was written in Greek. So what, what do the words that Paul wrote down mean in Greek? And that's what's important. So so this is what we find in, in Greek. And I'm a, you know, I'm a nerd. You, you told all the school I did. Hmm. So um the words in Greek are, are these. There's a word called arsenikoites, which is translated homosexual or men who practice homosexuality. This word arsenikoites is really interesting. And what um, people claim is that Paul made up this word. He coined a new term that we don't see in the Greek language in writings prior to Paul's writing 1 Corinthians. And I think they're probably right. I think Paul probably did create this compound word. And he does it with other words too. Scholars have seen that for a while, that, that Paul will create uh, words, which is pretty interesting. But what this word arsenokoites is, is it's a compound word of the word arsenos, which means male, and the word koitin, coitus, right? Which means to bed. So the word literally means bedders of males or men who bed males. 
that's the idea. Um, there was a word back then too that uh, we do know that was a compound word like this, but instead of having the word male betters, it was mother betters, and it was a derogatory term. Mm. And we, you know, in our culture, still uses that as a crass term uh, today to to derogatorily put people down. And so the question becomes: Where did Paul come up with this term, and what does he mean by it? Now, this is really uh, interesting because um, we, we've seen in Paul's letters to the Gentiles that he often quotes directly from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which makes sense because he's writing in Greek. So use the Greek, you know, the Greek translation of the Old Testament instead of trying to, in your head, uh, translate everything. Um, so because his, his audience was uh, Gentile Greek people, he uses the Septuagint, not the Hebrew. So if, if we look at the Septuagint version of Leviticus 18.22, which is where Paul's kind of been quoting stuff from and the list of sins he's, he's listed out here. In Leviticus 18.22, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says in English, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Okay, so that's just where God's condemning homosexuality in the Old Testament. In the Greek language, what it says is where it says, you shall not lie with a male. The word arsenos, male, is there. And then two words later, the word koitin is there, to bed. And so what commentators think Paul is doing is he knows this passage from Leviticus 18, and he knows it's condemning homosexuality. And so he creates this compound word from the Greek text to explain what he's meaning, men betters, because those words are in the Septuagint. And they're not only in Leviticus 18.22, uh, they're also in Leviticus 20.13. And in that passage, they're only one word apart. There's only one word separating them. So what, what it looks like Paul is doing is he knows the Old Testament so well, even in the Greek language, that when he's going through the list of things in, in Leviticus 18 through 20, he gets to the condemnation of practicing homosexuality, and he makes this compound term called men betters. Now, there is some debate that this word was around uh, at the time and that rabbis uh, used this term. We don't know for sure. Um, but it makes sense that this is where Paul got this uh, compound word from, uh, this term from. Um, so a couple of things about this. After, um, uh, after this, there's the word um, effeminate, right? The effeminate won't inherit the kingdom. Mm. The homosexual won't inherit the kingdom. So we're translating arsenokoite as the homosexual. But there's also this word effeminate, which is the word malakoi. And that word in Greek was around. Paul didn't create this word. And what it means uh, is soft men. And the word malakoi, it has two definitions, and it can mean clothing that's soft to the touch, um, so expensive, fancy clothes. Um, but it also refers to, in, in Greek culture, uh, being the passive person in a same-sex relationship, being effeminate. Mm -hmm. So this is why the ESV translates these two words together, because it's saying men who are practicing homosexuality, the dominant partner and 
the the passive partner. That that's I mean because that's literally what Paul is saying here. So yeah, the both of them are practicing thing. homosexuality in a slightly different way, but the passage yes. is supposed to communicate that both of these aspects are are sin. Yes. And so that's why the ESV just says people who do that thing. But really, there's the two separate terms. So here's the thing. Um, yes, the King James Version in English didn't translate this word homosexuality because that wasn't a term in English that they used to explain this type of behavior in 1611, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're always updating translations to common vernacular so that people can understand it. And that's what was happening in 1946. They said, this is what this word means. This is what Paul's describing. And this is now the word that we use for this type of behavior. So there was nothing nefarious going on. There's nothing um, weird or outside of typical biblical translation happening here, other than people nowadays in our culture want to point blame on that, that they, those translators, deceived us because what what the what the makers of this movie are trying to do is they they want to be christian and they want to follow god's word but they also um are homosexual and so they want to be able to practice homosexuality so what they're doing is they're they're trying to twist god's word to fit their preferences which for any of us that is just such a dangerous place to be but okay brady the last thing about this because i think this is so important mm -hmm. Even if they're right, let's just, and, and they're not because we've gone through the terms and we see what they mean. Mm -hmm. But even if the creators of 1946 are right, this doesn't help their case that the Bible condones same-sex relationships. And here's why. Absolutely. There are, there are other passages in the Bible that condemn homosexuality that don't use the word homosexual, right? You think about Romans chapter 1. And Paul says what? Absolutely. That women abandoned the natural function. So that's not the word arsenicoites. We don't translate that word homosexual. It's the word krisis. Um, and it's that women abandoned the natural function of the man and burned their desire, right? And men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire together, men with men committing indecent acts. So Romans 1 condemns lesbianism, and male homosexuality, and it doesn't use the word arsenicoite or homosexual, but it clearly still says this is a wrong behavior. So even if they're right about the mistranslation in 1 Corinthians, other passages in the New Testament condemn homosexuality, and, and they don't address that. They, they act as if if they're right about this, then, uh, you know, committed yeah. homosexual relationships. Well, it's usually okay. coming from, you know, these revisionist theologians. And so they have one of these twisted answers for every passage. You know, sure. uh, they will take Romans 1 and say that it's talking about like cult worship, like these, mm -hmm. cult, you know, occultic practices of yep. in temple worship and not. So they always try to claim that none of these passages are referring to modern day homosexuality. And we don't believe that, you know, we can, cause we can look at the Greek and uh, I, I hear the, um, 
the rhetoric all the time that it's like, well, the Bible has been translated so many times that, you know, it's nowhere close to its original meaning. It's like, no, but all of our <laughs> translations are based on the original. And so yeah. to reflect our modern language, so they're actually, and as we know more, they're actually getting better because we understand language better and we can understand what these Greek and Hebrew words actually mean. Um, yeah. And so well, uh, no, they're, they're, it shows that they're desperate to make it fit their narrative. And I understand that I've been there. I've been a sinner who was dead in my transgressions and had a hard heart. And when that's where your heart is, you desperately want an out. You definitely, definitely, you desperately want uh, for this to no longer be a struggle. And then when someone comes along and says, oh, the Bible doesn't actually condemn that. It's like, oh, really? So like I can be off the hook and mm -hmm. I, the struggle can be over. And that's what people are desperately looking for. And we should have compassion yeah. towards that and uh, and not just debate, uh, but use logic. And I love how you phrase that logic with wisdom on how I speak it to them. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, one thing I've always said, Robbie, is that even if these like six different, we call them the clobber passages, uh, the, the passages that talk about homosexuality, and they many times are called the clobber passages because they're used to kind of mm -hmm. clobber people over the head. And we, we need to understand them uh, so that we can have a response. But even if they didn't exist, I think that we could build such a strong case against homosexuality based on God's purposes for marriage and sex. And we can read Genesis 1, and we can read about marriage in Ephesians 5, and all throughout Scripture, and see God's purposes for yes. marriage and sex, and understand that that does not fit God's purposes whatsoever. And so I think that's why it's important that we really have a balance of responding to their bad, illogical, twisted arguments, but mm -hmm. and at the same time, building a better vision. And so not just telling them what they can't do, but inviting them into a story of God created sex to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we need to redeem that. And this is the purpose. And this is how you can experience uh, mm -hmm. joy and experience a taste of heaven through it. Um, and if we're going to do that, we need also we need to embrace that vision in our own life of, That's of right. biblical sexuality, of God's purposes for sex uh, with inside the church, and not be twisting it for our own desire, but then condemning the LGBTQ world for using it for their own their desires. Uh, when when yeah. we're kind of doing the same way, just the object of our idolatry is different. I have pastors and church leaders regularly reach out to me about speaking at their churches and events. If that's something you would be interested in, feel free to go to calibrateministries.com and fill out the contact form. And I'd love to talk to you about what that would look like. Yes, no, absolutely. And I think you're right about we need to project to the world what we're for, not just what we're against. And that's where telling people like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to even students about this and say, hey, listen, you know, the Christian view of marriage is that you don't want you, you don't want somebody just for their body. You want their body 
but you also want who they are in their soul and you want their emotions and you also want their future. Like you want to commit to this person so that when their body is old and non-functioning and not as beautiful as it used to be, you're mm. telling them, mm -hmm. I'm still going to be there because I'm making a promise to you that I will not break. So this idea of faithfulness within marriage, right? I mean, it's so much more beautiful and it stabilizes society, stabilizes the family. It's unbelievable. And when we can explain, no, this is what God's for, that you can find satisfaction sexually in you know the spouse of your youth, but you can continue to do that forever, not forever, but for your life, um, as you grow closer and in intimacy and as you get to know each other better and as you change as people and you change together and you grow to love each other more i mean it's such a beautiful thing um and the world's saying nah just have physical pleasure it, it just seems so uh so so much less than what it's supposed yeah. to be you know absolutely you know i have a lot of people and people in the lgbtq world will tell us this that uh Preaching biblical sexuality is harmful. It's depressing. Mm -hmm. It leads to, you know, teen suicide and uh, all these, all these things that actually aren't true. But I, and so many times they say, oh, isn't your message dangerous? And uh, mm -hmm. I say, what sounds more dangerous? A message that says your humanity comes from within you and you have to rely on other people to make you happy. And that's what the world's version of sexuality is, is that you have to rely on other people's bodies. You have to rely on them for your own happiness. And then mm. once they're no longer making you happy or pleasing you sexually, you can discard them, which also means that you can, other people are using you for their own pleasure and happiness. And then they can discard you when yeah. you're, you're not doing enough. So, so what, what sounds more dangerous, that theology that relies on another person or the theology of the Bible that says you have everything you need in Christ. Uh, therefore, yes. you can commit to your spouse and you can love them unconditionally and you can experience joy within marriage, even when it's hard, because Christ has given you everything. And, and marriage and the commitment is a taste of heaven and there is pleasure to be had but you don't find your hope in it because you your hope is in Christ. It's like, which of those two routes sounds more dangerous and which one is going to let you down and fail you? It's the yes. worldly version that relies on people, not on Christ. Absolutely. I once heard, and, and you know, you probably know way more about this than me, but I once heard a guy, he called into a radio show, older guy, and he said that he lived a homosexual lifestyle for like 30, 40 years, came to know the Lord, He's a Christian now. And he said, but what, what kind of woke him up out of living that lifestyle was he got old and nobody wanted his body anymore. And he said, I realized mm. that nobody had ever actually loved me. They just loved what I could do for them and bringing them pleasure. And then he yes. said, homosexuality is a young man's game. And that has stuck with me mm. like crazy. Wow. That is a powerful statement. And I've seen that be so true in my experiences and in walking alongside others. But what a tragic reality. Yeah. For someone to go through life and then realize that I've never been loved. I've just been used. Yes. It's so sad. And that's why, like what you're saying, we need 
a, a, we need someone outside of ourselves and honestly someone some person outside of the human depraved experience who can be an anchor of faithfulness and of unconditional love we need that otherwise it's just all shifting sand and it doesn't matter and and it's just get what you can because everybody else is just trying to get what they can that's where jesus comes in we need this anchor of faithfulness from him one way to us who are unfaithful of commitment of love of you know eternal life that's offered based on the work he did not based on the work i did because apart from that man you can't trust anybody or anything not even yourself and so this idea that there's a perfect being Absolutely. out there especially yourself promises yeah it's, it's amazing so that that is what we need and that's honestly what all of us long for in any relationship but we're always disappointed with human relationships because humans are sinners and broken. Absolutely. So, Robbie, here's a note we're going to end on. Speaking of not being able to trust people, uh, there's been a lot of news the last couple of days about the Catholic Church and the Pope uh, wanting to bless same-sex marriage and relationships. And we're not here to to bash Catholics, uh, but what is your take? How did the Catholic Church get here? And how does this show maybe some gaps in their theology, in their church function, and in just a lot of areas to where a man within the church, leading the church, could could make that decision? So do, do you just have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the Catholic Church is interesting. Just their structure is set up to where the Pope, you know, he he speaks on behalf of God. They believe, you know, as Protestants, we would say sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone is our authority. Um, and they would say scriptures are authority, the Pope's our authority, and traditions are authority. And so um, the Pope can make these edicts and tell everyone what to do because he's in the succession of Popes from the time of Peter is what is what they think. Um, and I think all of that is unfounded and the scripture they use for it is terrible and such a stretch. Um, uh, but that's what the Catholic church has been built on this hierarchy. Um, and so, um, what, what I've seen with, with, um, Francis is, um, he's kind of liberal in a lot of things. And what he said with this new, with this new edict is that, 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 um, the Catholic um, authorities can bless same-sex couples. They can't do marriages and stuff, but they can give them a like low-level blessing of the church. And what he's saying is this: this will help them to feel loved and to feel apart. Um, and I think we should let people feel loved and apart. Like I, at my church, we have people who are homosexual who attend our church, and I want them attending our church. But that doesn't mean we condone what they do. We say that it's okay, um, and we let them have full membership and, and no issue, right? We, we love them enough to steer them towards truth. Just like I love these, you know, 20-year-olds who are sleeping together, living together, and I'm, I'm not okay with that because God's not okay with that, and I want to love them and steer them towards truth. It's, it's the same type of thing. But, um, yeah, I think because he can just tell everyone what they're doing now, that's always dangerous, because a, a person shouldn't be our authority, a man. Uh, it should always go back to scripture. And scripture clearly says this is a sin. And, and the other thing is this. We always have to ask, why does God say this is sin? And it's because it's bad for us. <laughs> That's why. Sin is Absolutely. bad for us. And, and homosexuality is bad for us on so many different levels. And 
the surveys and statistics of people who study this show that there's all these problems that come with living in this lifestyle, not just disease-wise, but relationship-wise. I mean, all of this. They can't they can't create image bearers emotionally, in their image. spiritually. That's so sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything. And so um I think that that's another thing we should we should be forefront with. Like this is not healthy for your thriving and what God has designed us to be. But yeah, so I think there's going to be some uproar. I know there's some cardinals in the Catholic Church who are very upset with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so the the leadership of the Catholic Church is divided on this. But what do you do when the guy who speaks for God <laughs> tells you something that goes against yeah. what God said in his book? And so I think uh, this is an opportunity for us Christians to uh, invest in our Catholic friends and help them process. Because I know a lot of Catholics are gravely disappointed and disillusioned and thought that it was never going to come to this. So this is an opportunity for us to come alongside them and help them see, hey, where have you been putting your trust and uh, what has been the source of your faith and your religious practice? And maybe there is a better way and maybe there's yes. a better source of truth, which is scripture alone. And so I think it is a an incredible opportunity for us to uh, bring some uh, sound reason and logic and pastoral care and concern into the life of our Catholic friends. And yes. hopefully uh, God can use that to lead them in the right direction of looking to scripture alone. Yeah, well, and throughout history, right, really corrupt popes have been a great tool for God's word to spread. And so maybe that's what's going on here. I mean, the Reformation happened because there were really corrupt popes that were extorting people, right? And so maybe Absolutely. with this bad ruling, and maybe Francis even goes further, and a lot of Catholics will say, no, you know, Scripture is going to be our authority. I, I think that would be great. Absolutely. Robbie, we are running out of time. I so much appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge and your heart towards people and for people to uh, have a faith that's built on logic and reason and good biblical understanding. How can people connect with your ministry? What resources do you have available to you? Yeah, so a standard reason, you know, we, we just celebrated our 30th year. Um, and so we have so many podcasts, articles, we have online classes that are free. We do six youth conferences across the country every year. So if anybody wants to find out what we're doing, what we're writing, all of that is on our website, which is really simple. It's str.org, str.org. So you can go awesome. there, connect with us. We speak around the country. You can have us come out and speak, whatever you want. But if, if you got a question about apologetics, go to the website, type it in the search engine, and there'll be plenty of resources that pop up. All right. Sounds great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Speaking of websites, make sure you check out CalibrateMinistries.com and all the rest of our podcast episodes that we pray are encouraging, edifying. Make sure you like this video, share with your friends. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, go to Calibrate Ministries and figure out how you can support the ministry. We really appreciate that, too. And we pray that you can embrace God's standard for sexuality and have a witness to the world and make a difference in a world that really needs some truth and some hope. So have a great week and we will see you next week. Thank you.